0: Well, it's good to be here. Uh, If you would, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And as I've uh, continued down this path of preaching uh, through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, this morning... Uh, the Lord has brought us to verse 13, and we're going to try to get through verses 16, uh, Lord willing, if that happens. But I want to first, let's uh, read the scripture, and I ask you to stand uh, for the reading of the word. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. I want to have a word of prayer, if if, but anything, to calm me down here. Uh, Dear Lord, we thank you so much for bringing us here to this place, and we thank you that we have a standard to go by, that we know truth. And that we stand on the truth of your word this morning and we ask you to teach us and uh, help us to uh, grow in your truth and in your grace and everything that goes along with uh, being a Christian. And we thank you, Lord, for all the many promises and the benefits we have being your children. Uh, And also we thank you for the responsibility that that entails. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the sermon this morning is going to be on salt and light, and I've gone back and forth on what I would title the message, but I'm going to go with this, our responsibility to influence the world, our responsibility to influence the world. So this message is about salt and light, it's about the necessity of Christian influence, uh, it's about the function of the believer in the world. Now, this, this message is, uh, comes on the heels of a message that we had last week about being born again. And I truly believe that last week's message has paved the way for this one. Uh, and something that Brother Chris said this morning paves the way for it as well, that at one time, uh, men were called to obedience to God from a heart that was set against Him, but that's not the case with us today. We're called to obedience to the Word and to the Lord Jesus Christ from a changed heart, from a heart that is in proper communion with God. To say that you are the salt of the earth, verse 13, when Jesus says this, it's really a loaded statement. It's so simple, I mean, we hear it a lot, it's sort of a simple declaration, but it's a loaded statement. The Lord Jesus is saying so much in this declaration that ye are the salt of the earth, We often hear it today sort of as a Christian catchphrase or where it's sort of been reduced to a uh, nostalgic or a cliché type of a saying, you are the salt of the earth. Um, But words have meaning and we're here to discuss words and this is a big deal. This is a lot. There is so much truth within that statement. Um, that we have to deal with this morning. Because there's so much to salt. In Oftentimes, the Bible goes back and forth between dealing with uh, physical things and spiritual things. And everything is spiritual, really, but it affects the, rea- the, the real physical world that we live in. And this is the same thing here. There's so much to salt in a spiritual sense and what Jesus is referencing to, but it's also physical, which is how we are to live in the world when we have been changed by the grace of God and born again, that it is a spiritual thing, but that operates in the physical reality that we are to rightly apply what being a Christian is, and that's what Jesus is dealing with here. The function of the believer in the world—it's about influence. Our influence on the world. Salt has so many functions. Uh, we think of it as this thing that we take for granted—that's in the salt shaker on the table. But that equate the table salt equates for maybe one percent of what functions salt has and what it's really used for in our in our daily life. And just like food and water, salt is necessary for life. We can't live without salt. It's, it's in your body. It's a part of uh, what goes into so many things that if you didn't have salt in the world, there would be no life. It's literally a part of sustaining life. And I want to say that without Christians in the world influencing The world is lifeless, completely lifeless. Spiritually, of course, but also physically. Because God says that He brings the rain on the just and the unjust. Well, that's because His people are in the midst, and He brings the rain on His people, and even the unbelievers get wet. They benefit from being in our midst. Let's notice for a moment and put emphasis on who Jesus is saying the salt of the earth is. So we have to go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this is a transitionary phase of the Sermon on the Mount. We've already gone through the Beatitudes, and now we've transitioned uh, into sort of the, the heart or the meat of the sermon. And we see this transitional phase we ended, the last time I preached, we ended the Beatitudes, which was number 9, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Happy are you when you're persecuted, for yours is the kingdom of God. That's, that's one way you can know yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and say wicked things about you uh, for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of being a follower of Jesus. And it says rejoice and be exceedingly glad uh, because they persecute the prophets, same manner, so you're in, you have the same lot as the prophets. And it's fitting that he would then go into ye are the salt of the earth because going through all of the beatitudes, ending it on persecution, this is the result of kingdom living. You will be persecuted, but it doesn't negate your responsibility. So let's go back to the beginning and see who he's talking to here. We go back to the beginning of chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and he goes into the message, to the teaching. Notice that the multitudes are there, but the disciples came, and that's when he began his teaching. I believe that the, the, the message, the teaching, is primarily directed toward them. You have this multitude that's in the foreground, and they're witnessing this, this sermon, this teaching to the disciples, and they're also benefiting from it too and picking up on things. We know that because the, the sermon ends uh, in verse uh, 7 where they say, And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine." So they were astonished at the things he was teaching. They were there witnessing. But it's foundational to understand what the, Jesus is talking about here in this message. It's foundational to know who he's talking to when he says, "Ye are the salt of the earth. The point is, friends, he's talking to believers. He's directing this to the, those men who were there who were following him. So who, who is the salt of the earth? Who is the light of the world? you ye are the salt of the earth ye are the light of the world the genuine christian the believer you are it you're the only salt the only light that the world has it's dependent on you to be an influence for the kingdom of god that's a big responsibility The world has no other salt and light. Even though the world hates us, they are dependent on us as a source of life. God's plan to bring light into this dark, decaying world is His saints to influence. But the sad reality is in large part, instead of being an influence on the world, the churches, many have let the world influence them. And I pray that would not be us here today. Because that responsibility dictates a, not a retroactive, but a proactive approach to diminishing evil in the world, stifling the, the lies and the, the deception of the, of the wicked one uh, by bringing forth truth and by living out that truth, first and foremost living out the truth. We live it out first, it impacts our life first, and then we preach it, then we stand on it. We then are the salt and are the light in a in an real application For the world, this is saying, for the world to function properly, it's necessary for Christians to impact the world, to be an influence for the world. And we see so many uh, evils rising and, and things happening because we have failed in that. And I don't mean as individuals, but collectively, because it needs to be collective Several weeks back, uh, I think it was Chris preached a message on unity. That's so important because to be salt and light, we have to have unity to some degree. I'm not talking about an ecumenical type thing where we just let people believe whatever they want. But there has to be uh, a, an army has to be unified. An army has to be unified because when you take and salt your food, you sit down at the table and you ask your wife to... Pass the salt, you don't sprinkle a few little grains in your hand and put it on your food. No, you shake the salt shaker over it. Because salt works collectively. It, it works in, in, together in unison. That's how it functions. And many of the problems we have is because of false doctrine and, and all these things that came into the church and years of, of, of doing that and being... Influenced by the world. Now, this thing about influence. Your influence has greater power than I think you may realize. No person, whether believer, unbeliever, good or, or evil, no person has a neutral impact. No one, no matter how minuscule we may view their life or how we may view ours but no single person has a has a neutral impact on the world in which we live and also in eternal destinations i realize that god is sovereign and i hold to god's sovereignty but he uses people to carry forth his will and to to advance his kingdom and and we're responsible for that we're the salt and we're the light So we're talking about every person, whether believer or unbeliever, has an influence. So think about it. Every person leaves their mark in some way, whether negative or positive. Every person leaves their mark, and it will echo throughout history. One philosopher put it this way, No man is an island. Your life is a work, whether to the good or to the bad, to impact the world, whether for good or for evil. You can't escape that. No person's life has a neutral impact. We're either a force to facilitate preservation or a force to hasten the rot and decay. Which, by the way, is one of the biggest purposes of salt, is a preservative. Salt is a preservative. Now, verse 13, we have to get this, as saying that you alone are the salt. You, genuine Christian believer, you're it. You're the salt. There's no other salt. Unbelievers are not going to be salt. Muslims are not salt. The Hindu, they're not salt. Whatever pagan uh, ritualistic religion is not the salt, is not the light. No matter how good it may look, it's not them, it's us. Let's look at some purposes of salt for a second. These things are interesting, and it, and it gives depth to the meaning and to the value of salt. These are just some purposes of salt, and I'm not going to, this is not exhaustive by any means, but for the sake of time, salt is used for preserving food, flavoring food, a cleansing agent uh, used to extinguishing fires, melting ice, exfoliating skin, relieving sore throats. Many uses for salt in the manufacturing and industrial processes. Um, It's also many uses for medicinal things. Salt appears in the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, 46 times. Salt is considered, especially in the ancient times, extremely valuable. Wars were fought over salt. Um, It is essential to life, especially in a time without refrigeration. If you're going to preserve food, you need salt, and if you don't have it, you can't preserve it. I may be wrong about this, I didn't verify it, but I think in all canned goods, there's salt present uh, for the canning process, for pickling. All these things, people would uh, smoke meat and they'd put it in a brine of salt so that it would keep when they would travel. Um, the Greeks called salt divine, Theon. The Roman soldiers were paid in salt, which is where we get our English word salary. And if you were a lousy soldier, then they said you weren't worth your salt. That's where we get that phrase. He is not worth his salt. In the ancient world, salt was used to show sign of friendship. There were salt covenants. So you get the point. Salt is important. It's necessary for life. And think about it. I mean, if they, to say just this small thing, if they were to say, well, you've got to go on a salt-free diet. It's like, oh, man, there goes all my happiness. I mean, it's, it's necessary. F- food without its bland and would rot and decay in a lot of places. I want to look at some Old Testament scriptures regarding salt. The first one's going to be 2nd Chronicles 13:5. 2 Chronicles 13.5 Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over to Israel to David forever, even to him and to his sons by a covenant of salt? What is this saying here? The covenant must contain salt. Going deeper on that note, let's go to Leviticus 2.13. And this is an important one. Leviticus 2.13, And every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offering. With all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. They were required, for meat offerings anyway, that they had to be salted. For a couple reasons, salt salt is a cleansing agent. But also remember that after the offering was made, a portion of that offering went to uh, Aaron and his children, the priests. That was their provision, their their sustaining food. And you didn't want to bring the priests rotten meat, so it had to be preserved by seasoning with salt. And but also as a cleansing agent, it would. God knew this; they probably didn't know it. Um, God says things like, you know, you've got to have your, uh, wash your hands under running water. And in ancient times, to an ancient person, they didn't know about microscopic bacteria, but God did. And for a cleansing purpose, so that the, the sacrifice would be clean and acceptable to Him, the salt would kill the bacteria. And so every meat offering had to be Salted. The sacrifice must contain salt. Now this one Ezekiel sixteen Ezekiel sixteen one through seven. Again the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. And say, Thus saith the Lord God unto Jerusalem, Thy birth and thy nativity is of the land of Canaan. Thy father was an Amorite, and thy mother an Hittite. And as for thy nativity, in the day that thou wast born, thou navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee. Thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pitied thee to do any of these unto thee, to have compassion upon thee, but thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. And when I passed by thee, and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. I have caused thee to multiply as the bud of the field, And thou hast increased and waxen great, and thou art come to excellent ornaments. Thy breasts are fashioned, and thine hair is grown, whereas thou wast naked and bare. So, obviously, in verse 5, there, or sorry, verse 4, you see it says, Thou wast not salted at all. He's saying, Look, Israel, this is where you came from and where I brought you. You were. In verse 3, in other words, you weren't born in a, a pure stock. You, you were born to idolaters, to pagans. You're, your father was a... You're from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite, your mother a Hittite. And as for thy nativity, in the day that thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither thou washed in water to supple thee, or, or was not salted at all, nor swallowed. In other words, you were... A, a baby a child that was left abandoned spiritually folks this is us we're not born christians we're born sinners this is what he's saying and as for the salt goes apparently in ancient times what they would do is when a newborn came into the earth from the mother's womb they rub salt on it as a cleansing agent but he's saying your navel was not cut You weren't washed in water to supple thee, and thou wast not salted at all. No one even cared about you. You were left. But I came along, says the Lord, and I said unto you, in verse 6, live. Twice, he says there, I said to you, live. This is us. This is how we became Christians in an essence. God came to us and said, live. We were not salted at all, nor swallowed at all. Lying there in our own blood, he says. Polluted. So we have, the covenant must contain salt, the sacrifice must contain salt, and ye were without salt and left abandoned, but I gave you new life. Just from those three Old Testament scriptures here. Now I want to look at Amos chapter 5 because we're going to see what an unsalted sacrifice looks like. Amos chapter 5, verse 21. I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. But let judgment run down as waters and, unrighteous, and righteousness as a mighty stream. Have ye, have ye offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? But ye have borne the tabernacle of your moloch and chiun, your images, the star of your God, which ye made to yourselves." Therefore, will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. So they were still doing the sacrifices. They might have still been physically salting it like they were supposed to, according to the Levitical law. But God hated it because on the side over here, they're worshiping idols. This is what I was talking about from last week's message about being born again you can't do it in an outward appearance only because perhaps that's what they're doing but over on the side because of their wicked heart they are physically God says it here in chapter 5 uh, verse 26 that you have born the tabernacle of your mulloch this is a pagan god they're over here worshiping a pagan god and at the same time, they're trying to offer these sacrifices and burnt offerings to God. And God says, I hate it. I won't receive it. And God won't receive any of your righteous deeds unless you're first cleansed on the inside. Their salt, here in Amos 5, had lost its saltiness, lost its savor due to disobedience and idolatry. Israel had lost its saltiness. And there he says in twenty-seven, I'll cause you to go into captivity and beyond Damascus, saith the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. He's going to judge them. And so we did. So we being given the salted sacrifice of Jesus are to live a life of being God's agents of preserving, cleansing in the world. A living sacrifice that's salted. Romans 12, through 2 a living sacrifice. We are the only ones who can be salt because we're the only ones who've been salted. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And to be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. A living sacrifice. Not influenced by the world, but an influence to the world. Influence must be first kingdom living, and then intentional in advancing the kingdom. We first believe, and then we declare the truth unashamedly. So let me get back over to Matthew 5. This is important for us to realize how we know who is to be salt now. We know that it's us. We know the responsibility is ours. So how do we do it? What is the, the application for that? Well, I want to give one example of Christian influence being salt and light and how we can, we can look at this, and I think it's one that we can identify with. Jonathan Edwards, uh, known as the greatest American-born preacher, he's also the third president of Princeton Seminary. It was a seminary back then, Princeton University. His influence. Jonathan Edwards and his wife, Sarah, married in 1727, and together they committed to raise their 11 children in the fear of the Lord. Their success as parents was revealed in a study done in 1900 showing that their descendants included 13 college presidents, 65 professors, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, a dean of a prestigious law school, 80 public office holders, nearly 100 missionaries, three mayors of large cities, three governors, three U.S. senators, one comptroller of the U.S. treasury, and one vice president. That's influence. That's felt through the ages. Because they raised their 11 children in the fear of the Lord, they went forth, and we're talking about it now. We're talking about His influence from... Two centuries or better ago. This is lasting influence. And we we have that as one example of salt in the earth. That's living out the kingdom life and raising your children in this like manner. And all these children, these descendants that went out into the world, influenced how our country was run. There's no wonder that America was blessed at a time because of people like that who were living sacrifices, who were being salt and light, who were uh, raising their children, standing on the truth, preaching the word, confronting evil. Let's... um let's look at the the issue of losing his savor losing the saltiness we're in a we're in an age in our country and probably the whole western civilization where christianity is divided it's splintered there's Um, multiple sects and uh, different denominations, and I would say the majority of them are false. They don't adhere to the Word. I mean, the Apostle Paul called out things, so I think I have liberty to do that. He called out false teachers and things like that, not to be contentious, but to warn people. And the situation that we're in where we've lost the savor... This is uh, where we find ourselves, uh, where Christianity is splintered and divided, and all these things and antinomianism. Uh, we know that we don't—we're not justified by works; we're not justified by anything else but faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, being born again. But those things have real repercussions in how we ought to live. Um, God is to spur—we're we, spurred on by God inside to. To do good works, to influence. And, you know, you have like the United Methodist Church says, just like every church that I've taught, people that, from each church I've talked to, oh, we just believe the Bible. We just, we just preach the Bible. But we have women preachers, we have uh, LGBTQ, um, transgender preachers who preach the Word of God. Oh, but you believe the Bible? Not possible. The only kind of Christian there is is a biblical one. Anything else is just a, a club or a, a, a philosophy gathering or something like that. Or, or you know, There may be some community there. And you may claim, you may have a confession of being a Christian and saying you believe the Bible. You may be doing the sacrifice, but God is not receiving it. He's saying, I hate that. You're only adding judgment. The word savor here, when he says, verse 13, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. The, the, the Greek word savor here is interesting. Uh, it's, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, but more, Moreno, moreni, to become foolish used here to denote having lost its properties or ability becoming tasteless not able to retard corruption and decay and not able to promote thirst uh, one of the so we already talked about how salt is a preservative it has many different functions one of the things that salt does is it makes you thirsty and you know, when you eat something salty you get thirsty A Christian is to be salt, by making the world thirsty for Christ. And how can we do that if we're just throwing in with the world, like so many do? The, this word, where it says um, savor, Moreno," uh, to become foolish, it, not good for anything. You, you've literally, um, you're not good for anything. You're not good for nothing. You're you're just you have an empty confession. You have a confession where you say you agree, but you're not living it out. I was talking at my, at, at my work to um, the guy who delivers uh, our batteries. Uh, he works for a parts company, and every Friday, if I need batteries, he'll come deliver. I really love talking to this guy. He's an unbeliever, um, and I have witnessed to him, and I've tried to convert him. Uh, But he's smart as a whip. He 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 is um, he's very abreast on current events and things going on in our culture. And we talk and many of the things I tell him about God's word, he agrees with. You know, he says that there's wisdom there and and, you know, he um, he even says that, you know, Western civilization is blessed because it was influenced by Christianity. And but he said something uh, on friday when i saw him he said you know i you know i don't i'm not a believer but i can see through these people who say that they're christians and they're not they see that and that it, that's that turns them away from following christ when there's the 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 um you know the example that he gave was you know it, you see somebody saying that they're a Christian and they're out smoking and cussing and you know just living like everybody else. And he said, I can see through that. Even I know that's not a Christian, he said. This is somebody who is an unbeliever. Even I know that's not a Christian. We're not fooling anybody. That was interesting to me that he said that. I was thankful that he said that. Christians to be sought by making the world thirsty for Christ. Sometimes that's what we do when we evangelize or when we talk to people one-on-one. We're, we're trying to show them. Uh, we use the law. It's necessary to use the law. You know that? You have to because that's how the, the law is the knowledge of sin. The definition of sin is lawlessness. And so we, we, we use that to create a thirst for Christ, that I I'm hopeless without him. This is... One way that we're salt. Another thing salt does is it stings when it's rubbed into a wound. It stings. Sometimes we have to sting. The truth of God stings. Now, primary, the primary way a Christian loses his savor and becomes tasteless and useless is not living out their confession. This is what happened to them in Amos 5, where their feasts were unacceptable. God hated them, hated their their oblations, practicing idolatry on the side. And the result of this is from so many false doctrines that we have refused to stand up against and call it out. The easy believism doctrine, where, oh, you just come up to the front, Uh, and you say a prayer, you're saved, and then you go out and you say to everybody, I'm a Christian, and you live just like everybody else. That's cultural Christianity, but it's not genuine biblical Christianity. And what I would say to us today is don't be a camouflage Christian. We are supposed to look different. We are supposed to live different. We're not supposed to be like the world and be influenced by them to the point that our salt has lost its saltiness and is useless. We should be calling out these things, and I think it's going to require us to do it more and more, and I know that we don't want to be contentious. But consider the first martyr in the church age, Stephen. He preached such a good sermon, they killed him. The first sermon he ever preached It was his last. We cannot take the hand of sin and unrighteousness and simultaneously take the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. It can't work like that. It doesn't. In doing this, we have an empty confession and we can't be salt and light and influence I don't know if this is still the case, but years ago there was a survey done. I think it was 86% of Americans said they were Christians. That's a joke. 86% of Americans say they're Christians and we have uh, all these unjust laws and all this wickedness and corruption going on. There are things that, you know, you see people do and you know, you know, Fifty years ago, they wouldn't have got away with that. Twenty years ago, they wouldn't have got away with that. Because we're not influencing. We need to influence the world. And I understand that God may be orchestrating all this to bring about His coming, and I know that He is. And I pray for the Lord's coming. That's our true salvation. But we're talking about the here and now. This is what Jesus is talking about. The here and the now. Be salt and light. Yes, he's coming back and he's going to set everything right. And yes, uh, wickedness, wicked men will wax worse and worse. But that doesn't negate our obligation, our responsibility to be an influence. But many are, many are allowing the world to influence and we can't fall into that category. I, I won't even listen to Christian music anymore. I'm talking about stuff that's, not the, not the hymns and all that, but I'm talking about contemporary music that you hear on the radio. I'm not saying all of it's bad, and if you listen to that, that's fine, but you better be guarded when you do it. I won't have it. I'm tired of it, because it's all self-centered. It's all modern, contemporary Christianity that doesn't face the truth, the hard truths, that only talks about uh, things that they are okay with people hearing about the gospel but really they're ashamed of the gospel so we are to live like we're Christians we're to live in holiness now this is this is I'm not preaching the doctrine of Christian perfectionism that's a heresy we're not going to be perfect it's not perfection but it's direction it's direction toward holiness. A Christian may fall into sin, but he's not one that lives in it. There's a difference. If you're living in sin right now, you're not being salt and light. And before your salt has completely lost, it's saltiness, it's savor. Repent. Verse 14. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. This There's a stark distinction between light and darkness. And here the Lord speaks to a presupposition. He doesn't say here the world is dark. Not in this passage, he doesn't. But ye are the light of the world, which would presuppose that the world is dark without even being said. And without you influencing the world, there is no light. Jesus is gone. He's up in heaven with the Father. We are His ambassadors, and without our influence, the world is darkened, corrupted, tasteless, decaying, nothing good. Now, this issue of a city being set on a hill cannot be hid well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me, let me go this way here. There's no light at all without us. Let's look at John 17, 14 through 20. Jesus says, seventeen fourteen 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth as thou hast sent me into the world even so have i also sent them into the world and for them for their sakes i sanctify myself and they also might be sanctified through the truth neither neither pray i for these alone but for them also which shall believe on me through their word that last verse there in 20 that's us that we he's he's jesus is literally praying for you and for me right there I pray, for them, I pray for these disciples, not only these twelve, but also for the ones who will believe on, on me through their word, through their testimony. How can anyone believe on the Lord Jesus without our testimony? Think about that. But also here, it says, We are not of the world as Jesus was not. In the same way that he wasn't of the world, we're not to be of the world. That is a, a big statement because we're, Jesus is our example. We're to live uh, as He did. Um, we're not of the world in the same way that He's not of the world. We're, we're children of God. We're born from above, it says there in, in John 3. We often see throughout the gospel this comparison that Jesus makes... Uh, to himself and the disciples or to other believers in in terms of what we should do and be you know we're not the son of God obviously and and we don't have um, uh, God qualities in that sense but um, we are how we are to live how we are to be he makes this comparison to us and him just as I've done this you do this And what we are to expect from the world? Says there that the world hates them because hated him. We must not be a partaker of its darkness. We're not of the world. The true, genuine Christian is not of the world. We can't be like the world. And, and to say that, I mean, that's, that's loaded too. We can't be influenced by them. We, we cannot fall for their lies. We, we don't trust in the world for help. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, Psalm 121. We can't follow them if we're to lead them to Christ. We can't be like them. And I don't... Maybe I fell victim to it too once. I know I did. But this this issue of a grace-only message, and what I mean by that is this lie that because you're under grace, you now have license to sin, or you can, it's okay, sin's not a big deal to you. There's no condemnation of those who are in Christ. That's true, but what what does Paul say? Uh, I believe it's in... Romans six, shall we continue in sin? God forbid. How are we who are dead to sin can continue to live therein? You can't be salt and light if you're if you have this mentality of this antinomian doctrine that is the majority. I'm going to tell you is the majority of contemporary churches in America. This antinomian doctrine that well you're under grace and so you you don't have to worry about anything. You just Go with the flow. No, you go against the flow. That's what Jesus says, to go against. And if you're not going against the flow, then perhaps you've, in your own mind and heart, cheapened grace. And I know this is not something that is popular to say, but it needs to be said because this is, I believe, the problem. This is part of the problem. that if we're going to be salt and light, we have to reject that. We've got to reject that. We have such scriptures as 2 Corinthians 6, 17, which says, Come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Romans 13, 14, Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust thereof. This is how we have to live, to be salt and light. This is what comes first. We can't stand on the truth, if we're not living the truth. We, we can't do that. I had one. I was talking to one. Um, when I was down in Florida. I was talking to one. Um, the other preachers there. One of the guys. He was an older guy. I love talking to him. Uh, so much wisdom. And he was talking about this subject. And he said that. You know if you're going to preach the gospel. In a right way. You, you have to be following the Lord and in love with Him and living a holy life, because that's more important than knowing all of the Greek and Hebrew. That's what He said. And that's why, you know, we have in the Scriptures, where it's laid out, we have who elders are supposed to be, who, who deacons are supposed to be, all those things, because those things are important. We don't just, you know, we don't just shoot aimlessly and in the dark. We have... A standard to go by. If we have a standard to go by, we ought to use it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 through 8. We are described as being light because we're the children of God. Let me go to that and read it. Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. We're the children of light, and with that, that has real implications, is what I'm saying. And Being a Christian has real implica- implications. We don't have just... Uh, what does Romans 10 say? That those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, but he says there, um, if thou shalt confess with your mouth and believe in thine heart... Thou shalt be saved. You can't have a confession without the belief. And if you're going to believe, then you will have a confession. You will stand for the truth. And you will not be ashamed of the gospel. Those things go together. It always goes together. And I think the problem happens is when we try to separate those things. Justification goes with sanctification. Amen? That's right. We, we you you can't separate those things. You can't you can't be s- Going through a process of sanctification in the flesh without justification. And if you're justified, you're justified in, in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ having access into his grace, Romans 5, then you are being sanctified. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, where he says, don't be deceived. None of these wicked people inherit the kingdom of God. No liars, no thieves, nor covetous, no homosexual. And then he says, and such were some of you. But you've been washed, you've been cleansed. This is what it, those two things go together we can 't rightly separate those two, and that 's what uh, people who preach this false doctrine that 's what they 're doing they 're separating the two, those two things and I can tell you friend i mean i 'm not, I'm not ashamed of it. The reason that I, I hold to the doctrine that I do in the doctrines of grace and the, the sovereignty of God and the grace of God is because. As far as I can tell, being a Christian for as long as I've been in studying the word, it's the only one that's consistently holds to the full counsel of God. And so, we're not to be we're to be enthusiastic and have zeal for the Lord Jesus Christ, but doctrine does matter. And so, we need to unashamedly call out false doctrine, even if it steps onto, even if that salt stings a little bit in order to, to be an influence. I mean, this is how those of us who have children, we know that's how you influence them I and mean, you have to sting them sometimes. Um, but it also, just like justification and sanctification are coupled together, it's coupled together with love. You can't defy those two things either. Uh, When we preach the gospel, it is a mission of love. Um, But we know that God also uses that sometimes uh, so that the people who hear are without excuse and to heap condemnation onto them. And if you're sitting here today and um, you're not born again or not saved, you've been sitting here Sunday after Sunday hearing the gospel preached and you're not making any kind of move to the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not seeking the Lord, then it's heaping condemnation up to you. Because we're an influence. The issue of hiding your light, being ashamed... A city that said on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Romans one fifteen through sixteen, you know it. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. He was not ashamed. He says he was ready to preach the gospel because he's not ashamed of it. Because it's the power of God and the salvation. The world hates the gospel just by nature. And many churches are ashamed of it for that reason. I read a book uh, that just showed up to my house one time and Jody said she was responsible for it but called Ashamed of the Gospel. And I got it in the mail, and I thought, man, I'm going to read this. And I read it, and it's, that's exactly what it's about. The pragmatism that has encapsulated the, the American and Western churches, it's appalling. It's got to be called out. And I would plead with those people uh, who, that may hear this later on in times past, that they would turn away from that. Stop trying to appeal to... Stop trying to sell Jesus, okay? Stop trying to sell Him like you would sell a car or some trinket. You, we can't sell Jesus. We're not trying to barter with people. Man, if you do this, come on, man. Believe. No, it, it's you must believe or perish. You. That's That's what it is. That's how... If you try to go about it any other way, then maybe there is part of, in you that's ashamed of the gospel, I would say to that person, and, and please check yourself um, and, and realize what the power of God to salvation is. Things that you do or, or have done that you're ashamed of, you try to hide it. And if you're trying to hide your Christianity, whether actively or... Um, passively, that's revealing that there's something about Christ that you're ashamed of. And remember, he said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. If you're ashamed of me to men, then I'll be ashamed of you to my Father. Many will surely speak about and not be ashamed of certain things in the Bible, uh, about the gospel. They'll, they'll, it's okay, they'll speak about God's love, won't they? They'll speak about God's blessing. They'll speak about... Uh, you know God's grace. This is why the whole world knows John three sixteen, but no one knows John three eighteen. That he who does not believe is already condemned. Or no, no one knows Psalm five five. God hates all workers of iniquity. But we, everybody knows John three sixteen, don't they? But see those two things go together. Uh, many of you have saw this, but I have to speak to it. Um, I guess it was some years ago, uh, the known heretic, Joel Osteen, preached, or not preached, but he was on, um, he was on Larry King, was it? He was on Larry King, and Larry King asked him, so do you say if if uh, people who don't believe in Jesus, are they going to go to hell? And he said, well, I don't know, I can't say that. I mean, I I believe that, you know, if you're you're loving God and all this nonsense and stuff, and... Uh, some time later, Steve Lawson spoke to that. And each time that Joe Lose would say, well, I don't know, he said, give us some men who know the truth. And that's what this is about. Like, you know, we have to stand firm on the whole truth, the whole counsel of God, that um, we can't be ashamed of the exclusivity of Christ. That's what biblical Christianity stands firm on, that uh, we don't have a church if we don't have that. The exclusivity of Christ is that yes, it's necessary. If you want to uh, escape the wrath of God, then you must put your faith in Christ. We can't be ashamed of that. I'm almost finished. Let me go back to Matthew 5 here. So i get my bearings. Final verse. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Which goes with the former verse, and I may have not read that, but neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So we have this... Light. Uh, there's one verse, forgive me, I forget the address, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this light, this salt that we've been given. We're the ones who've been salted by the Lord Jesus as his children. We're the ones who we have the light in the world. Um, this is why, friends, I mean, if you know anything about history, where the Christians have gone, there's been prosperity. Western civilization, um, not perfect, but better off than eastern places for sure. And now the scales are starting to tip. You know, I don't know what the statistics are, but I mean, I think it's pretty evident that as we uh, start to go away from that Christian influence, and, I, and I, I'm i not even talking about hard-line you know, everybody believing in Christ, that day will come when He rules with the rod of iron. But I'm talking about just, like I said before, the, you know, the God brings the rain on the just and the unjust. Even the unbelievers get wet when they're in our midst, and it's it's like the whole thing about, you know, God is preserving. Uh, or holding back his wrath, you know, Abraham asks, if ten men be righteous in the city, will you save the city for ten men? Yes, for ten. Uh, and it, all the way down the line to that ten. One day I believe that one day God will snatch his church out before he brings the tribulation of his wrath. And when all the Christians are gone, there is no salt and no life. God has no reason to preserve it. And his wrath will be unleashed. God has no reason to preserve it. And also, without the salt and the light in the world, corruption will be, it'll be like in the days of Noah, when all men's, the imaginations of all of them were evil all the time, continually. Nothing to restrain it. We're already starting to see the beginnings of that with this antinomianism I was talking about. Like, we're not used, the the law's purpose, one purpose of it, uh, says John Calvin, is to restrain wickedness in the world. Even if they don't believe, it still holds them back. I, when, when, um, when I was preaching in Nashville on Wednesday, and um, that guy took my Bible and threw it out in the street, I called the police, and, and he asked me what I wanted him to do, and I said this to him. I said, well, Romans 13 says that God's given you a ministry, and your ministry is to, um, to punish the wicked. That's the role of government, and that's the role of law enforcement. And I said, just by your presence here, you're restraining wickedness. You're retarding it. When all those things are gone you may still have police but it'll be like jackbooted thugs you know the ss or you know something like that this police officer he had a profession of faith when you stop when you, when there's no police no christian influence in law enforcement no christian influence in the military can you imagine the wickedness that'll be done so let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. Your works are important. What you do is important. You're to let your light shine to glorify yourself? No. So that they'll see your works and glorify your Father. Two points here in this verse. Be the light, shine, your light in front of the world. Do not be ashamed of God's word. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And the second is to the purpose of glorifying God, for He is the one who's worthy to be glorified. And with that, I just want to reiterate that we have, in this transitional phase here on the Sermon on the Mount, we went through all of the Beatitudes. Uh the nine blessings, the poor in spirit, the, those that mourn, the meek, uh, they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and the persecuted. That's a culmination of what it is to be salt and light, what it is to, um, this whole thing about the of glorifying God. It's all to glorify Him. And, you know, there's many people, many religions who do a lot of good things, um, but it's to glorify their own selves. Remember, Jesus said to the Pharisees, they have their reward. They have their reward. But we shine our light, and we don't hide it. We can't hide it because we're it. The, 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 the vastness of importance as this is, is, I can't underestimate, and, and it struck me in, in preparing for this. And really going deep into what's being said. That we're the ones who have to do it. It's our responsibility. No one else is going to do it. We can't tap out. There's no one else left. And the laborers are getting fewer and fewer. So that means you being salt and light is even more important now. Because, and what I mean by that is not necessarily when Jesus said this, but in terms of our society and our culture it's getting more and more important because those who know the truth give us some men who know the truth seem to be getting fewer and fewer and so be salt and light and I want to close with a word of prayer dear Lord God I thank you Uh, for bringing me here to this place to be among friends. And, Lord, I thank you that um, you've given us your sacrifice that was salted um, with your sweat and blood and with uh, your suffering on the cross. And I thank you, Lord, that you've given us the light of your truth. And help us, dear Lord, that in going out from this place that we would be... um, we would take those things to heart and that we would meditate on this. And, uh, Lord, I pray that you would not um, glorify, don't even let us go down the road, Lord, of wanting to glorify ourselves. Um, uh, Lord, we, that's in us all, but I pray you just stop that before it even leaves the station. Uh, Lord, thank you for everything that you've done for us here today. In Jesus' name, amen.